0: My name is Brent, and I was one sorry podcaster. Welcome to Fandalites. The weekly podcast where Jenna and myself read and discuss each animorph's book in order. Uh, today we're covering book twenty-one, "The Threat," which is part two of the David trilogy. Uh, it picks up where book one left off, with most of the animorphs falling out of the blade ship as roaches. Rachel and Tobias save them, and it eventually turns out that the guy Visser three acquired is the White House chief of protocol. He's used that position to ensure that on their way to the podium, all of the world leaders meeting here walk behind a pillar that the Yerks replaced with a hologram hiding a Yurk pool. The Animorphs infiltrate the banquet, but it turns out to be a trap. Visser Three has lured them there via hologramception, a hologram within a hologram within a hologram. He's correctly deduced that David was given morphine abilities and makes him an offer to enter into sort of a Green Ranger situation with the Yurks. Uh, it looks like David's about to turn when he attacks the Visser instead. The Animorphs manage to escape, but keep watch over the barn where David sleeps in order to make sure he doesn't take the Yurks up on their offer and turn after all. He does end up headed to his house, and the active anamorphs give chase. The book ends with Tobias, assumed dead, and Jake blacking out and crashing through the mall's skylight as a tiger, daring to fight with David and his lion morph.
1: This one was a real <laughs> fucking page-turner, Brent. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's another one where we start in media res with the main story instead of daring an act of light eco-terrorism, uh, <laughs> and then ends on, a, on it to be continued as well.
1: Yeah, a really intense one. Because I, I'm, I'm gonna assume Tobias is not dead because I don't think he's dead.
0: I am almost certain that there are Tobias P.O.B. books coming up. But when this was published, I would have been very concerned for him.
1: Yeah, I I, th- it was around these books that I stopped reading. And there is a lot of reasons for that. But it At least one of them is because this is a pretty fucking intense
0: arc. I mean, we may find out next episode because they it's called it's literally called The Solution, which which is fucking ominous. And uh, they obviously deal with David somehow. So um, we may find out why young Jenna could not bear to follow the adventures of the Animorphs. Uh, They may do something that they can't come back from.
1: Yeah. The only thing I the only book I definitely remember reading after these books is the one where Rachel becomes a starfish cuz she gets split in two Shit. and I'm excited about that. Oh book. my god, it's
0: literally that episode of Buffy.
1: It is. It's literally that episode of every supernatural television show that's ever been made. Yeah,
0: you're you're right.
1: Oof. I'm glad I'm glad this book opens with a bird parachute though. <laughs> I'm glad they haven't given up on that tactic.
0: I mean it's it's a little less unbelievable of a bird parachute because they are catching like roaches in midair. Yeah,
1: I think this is this is the one acceptable bird parachute.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is it's an acceptable bird parachute, but for sure, yes. It's not the only time Tobias has caught them, I don't think, in mid fall.
1: Yeah, I think as insects, yeah.
0: So we um we see <laughs> At the beginning of this, I just want to call out that Rachel's a fucking genius. Yeah. (laughs) Because she's the only one of them, it's pointed out, that keeps a couple sets of clothes at the wildlife rehabilitation center. Just so that she doesn't have to be in her morphine outfit whenever they meet up and she's flown there. And why don't the rest of them, like, fucking twig to this? That's a brilliant idea. I don't fucking know
1: why they don't. Like, they, they joke like it's a fashion thing. But how nice is it to have shoes when you're in a goddamn barn?
0: I mean, literally later this same book, Jake is laying on some peat moss in the back of a truck in the cold complaining about how miserable it is to be cold and wet in bike shorts and a t-shirt. And it's like, dude, you could have solved this. It was presented to you, even if you didn't think of it yourself, like your cousin came up with it. And it's right there at the beginning of the book.
1: Yeah, it's a good plan. I mean, Cassie, I'm certain, has clothes there, too. Or, I mean, she has, like, overalls that she can crawl into if necessary. But it just seems so weird that they don't all have stashes of clothing, like, on the, the roof of the mall.
0: Yeah, yeah. It does seem a little weird that they don't have, like, caches uh, at various places. Although, I guess, yeah. like, how how many clothes can you afford as a teenager on an allowance?
1: I mean, even, like, flip-flops. yeah. It's a pair of flip flops here and there because in this book they have to Jake has to go and like steal clothes from a surf shop
0: for David. Oh fuck are the Animorphs the reason why you sometimes see sneakers with their laces tied together thrown over a power line? Have they been (laughs) seeing those all over?
1: (laughs) I really like that yeah yeah that's because they can just swoop down as birds and grab right right those those
0: are their backup (laughs) shoes they're just hanging out there. (laughs)
1: Jake, i it's just so weird because Jake makes a big... I mean, I understand it having read the book. At the time, it was so weird to me that Jake makes a big fucking deal about like, I'm going to go back and pay for these clothes. Um, this, this airbrushed novelty t-shirt. I'm going to go back and pay for it. Uh, it seemed weird to me that they were making such a big fuss.
0: It, it seems to me almost while I was reading this, because of all of the behavior that the Animorphs... All of the laws that they have broken in the past... And the fact that in the previous book, they were trying to steal something from David's house. <laughs> um, it seems to me almost like Jake's doing it just like as an example for the new guy.
1: Oh, I kind of like that. Or, or to demonstrate that they do still have a moral code, even if it's
0: uh, kind of patchy. Right. It strikes me and... This is me reading into it, but it seems like specifically he uses it later as a, as a bludgeon when he's moralizing.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. When, yeah, when I got to that part, so like the part where there David busts a window to break into a motel or a hotel room to watch TV and sleep on a goddamn bed for In once. In an almost
0: exact echo of how Rachel the Eagle broke into his room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I learned it from watching you, Dad. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it seems like it, it, I appreciate that Jake has to lay down the law here, because they, they are starting to grow more and more concerned about David's behavior, and more importantly, David's inability to follow their commands, more or less.
0: Yeah, well, so here's the thing is, I think they're not concerned enough about this, or they're concerned in the wrong way. Okay. Because... They're concerned. I mean, I get it. They have the whole world leader conference, like heads of state getting infested with yerks on their mind. But Jake, as much as admits early on in the book, that where to house a fugitive teenager for literally the rest of the war is Mm. a longer term problem that they have not really thought about. And that's sort of like the root of why he breaks into the hotel room in the first place, because he spends the night at Marco's. You can't spend a night at Jake's, as you pointed out before we started recording, because Tom's a controller and knows to look out for him. Right. And after that, he's just, he's sleeping in the hayloft in Cassie's barn. Have you ever slept in a hayloft?
1: No, it sounds itchy.
0: It is not pleasant. He's sitting here. He's like, and the whole last book, uh, I I think I, this is more David defense. Uh, The whole last book, I, I feel like I can understand why he would feel like he was not being included as a full member. And at this point, they have basically kidnapped him. He tries to go somewhere else. Jake says, you have to come back or we will do violence to you. Yeah. You have to live in this barn. Like, they're not presenting him with another alternative. They're just saying, oh, we'll figure it out. But none of them really seems concerned about it. Like, at all. And remember, this is this whole kid's life. All he has now are these people who don't even seem to like him very much. And expect him to just, like, fall in to... Even Jake doesn't really understand why the rest of the group, like, picked him as the leader initially. They just all sort of listen to him. And it throws him a little when David is like, why? Which, like, I mean, yes, in a guerrilla war situation, that's not what you want. But these are all teenagers. And I can't help but feel every time I read them interacting with David that this group of teenagers is handling this in, like, the worst way possible. Because if they stopped and thought about it for a second they'd realize that really figuring out David's whole situation needs to be a way bigger priority if they want him to be a long-term member of the group. But as it is, like, throughout this whole book, very rarely when he speaks does anybody even acknowledge that he spoke. A lot of these scenes where he tries to get in on the banter, if you cut his lines, it would read exactly the same, except you wouldn't get this weird feeling that people are just ignoring him.
1: I... so there's a lot there. Yeah. I I definitely agree with you in that they do not seem to care enough about where this kid is going to sleep and how he's going to eat. And like his his general day to day well-being does not seem to be a high enough priority for them. Right. I mean, Uh, in
0: terms of what he's going to eat, Cassie's like, I left some chips for him up in the hayloft. Yeah,
1: like that's going to that's going to hold him through the night. It, It does not seem like there's enough concern for his well-being. I don't necessarily think that breaking into a hotel room. Like, literally, like, breaking a window to get into a hotel room is the best solution for that. You're right.
0: It it isn't. Um, it, It seems like the sort of thing you might come up with when you're 13. Uh, and yeah. your entire life has just been burned down around your ears and you have just been conscripted into a war against aliens and are told to stay in this fucking hayloft or we'll fucking spank you. <laughs> he but he does break in like he he has the ability to
1: morph. He could have found another way into that room and, and in such a way that is less extremely obvious that something has happened. Like they are supposed to be keeping a
0: low profile. That's true. I mean, and and, and like I said, it's not. A good plan and breaking into the hotel room is like there's just so much that can go wrong there but that's not how when when jake comes down on him about it that's not what jake says he doesn't say like there's so much that could go wrong here like if if you this is what you wanted to do we should talk about it figure out a way to sneak you in what he says is you know we don't fucking break the law we don't break into places mm-hmm. and steal i already sent money to fucking ron john surf shop for that grateful <laughs> dead t-shirt and swim trunks which Like, I I think this is the express reason that he fucking did it. But the Animorphs break and enter all the time. Like, they are constantly trespassing places they're not supposed to be. Jake burned a fucking dude's house down.
1: I think they're more concerned about the fact that he is defying direct orders. Like, it's not necessarily the stealing, although they do seem to really focus on that in a way that I think is really disruptive they can't afford to have somebody who's not going to follow orders. If this were just a normal situation where they weren't at war, I, I think I would have more empathy for for David's behavior. But they are at war. They cannot afford to have David going off and, and doing things like this. It, it did. I think it's less a matter of the thing that he did and more of a Jake said, you can't do this, and then he does it. i think jake jake is feeling challenged which he hasn't really had to deal with before their their whole the all of the animorphs we've talked about this in past episodes the animorphs each have a role to play in their sort of social dynamic you have the comedic relief marco cracking jokes you have the person who says let's fuck them up rachel And, and you have the the voice of morality so i don't I don't know where David fits in with that. I don't think David knows where David fits in with that. I don't think any of them do. I think
0: that's a big part of the problem.
1: I think I agree. I think that's a big part of the problem. But they also can't afford to have somebody going off half-cocked. And that's that's the whole thing in this book. That he's unreliable.
0: Well, maybe they should have thought of that before they conscripted him into their war. Like, that's the thing. He's a 13-year-old kid. And he never... They all are. Well, I know. But the the rest of them had each other, right? They all sort of chose Jake. This kid didn't choose Jake. He just got told he's the boss, follow his orders, and the rest of them are acting like Andalite military command. How dare you disobey? I mean, like, I get it. They are at war. It's not a workable situation for him to just go off and do whatever he wants. And that's 100% correct. I think the issue I have is, like, Jake dealt with it in the exact wrong way, because instead of explaining that and saying like, you know, if we know the hayloft sucks. If you need a better place to stay, like, let's talk about it, figure out a way to get you in here without like being so obvious, figure out a a way to get you to stay somewhere where you can't like get caught out by accident. Instead, he just makes a big grandstanding speech about how, you know, they, they don't break the laws. And I get it. Jake's a 13 year old boy, too. He fucked up the situation, but they're they're teenagers. They're all teenagers. They're making terrible mistakes.
1: Yeah, they're making they're all making bad decisions, and they're not really doing a great job communicating. And that hasn't been as big an issue in times past because they are they all they all trust each other. Yeah, they all have well enough established connections that they trust each other. But David doesn't trust any of them, and none of them trust David. Yeah. and and I I sympathize with all of that. And if it were a different situation, I I think that they, I would be more, again, just more sympathetic to David, but they're, they are in a war. And if you can't trust your guerrilla companion, like the the whole, the whole system falls apart. They can't afford to be, I don't think they, I don't think anybody in this situation has a better choice.
0: I, I agree. Once again, though, I think like, well, if we can't trust him, then that doesn't work should be something that was more heavily a factor in their discussion of whether to leave him to the Yurks or conscript him. Yeah. Like by this point, it's too late. Like the, you can't, it's a one way door. You can't take back that morphine power. So short of making him a Nothlet somehow at this point, like the, the best way forward you have, because they don't have a formal military structure, they can't like execute him for treason or put him in military prison Mm -hmm. for, for disobeying orders. He doesn't care about getting demerits or whatever because he, he's new to this situation. He doesn't really have a place in this dynamic yet. The The best way to handle it is to just try and bring him in and work with him and explain be transparent about the decisions you're making and why you're making them and try to grow that trust.
1: Which is something even adults have a pretty fucking hard time oh, doing a lot of the yeah. time.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm laying the groundwork here because I, he does some pretty indefensible things by the end of this book, but I think I'm just I'm not saying he is blameless or that he made the right calls. I'm just trying to lay some groundwork to say, like, I don't think he's a villain. I think he's a I think he's a teenager. Yeah, I don't think he is yet. Well, even even now, like, I mean, even by the end of this book? Honestly, so by the end of this book, he thinks he's killed Tobias. Yeah, but he kind of which which we're upset about because we like Tobias but the way that he sort of defends it is using Jake's literal words against him because earlier in the book, Jake says, quote, we have a rule against morphing hum- other humans, but to my mind, these weren't really other humans. And David says, it's not murder if it's a bird. You can't murder a bird.
1: Let's, okay, yeah, let's, let's take that, let's sidebar. Let's sure. sidebar. Sure, no, totally. And, and talk about this... Posts aren't people, thing, because fuck,
0: Brent. It has been implicit for several books. Yeah, they've mentioned oh, before yeah. that controllers aren't really people. This is the first time that I think Jake's out and out said this is okay because these aren't people anymore.
1: I think it's the first time any of them has has admitted. I mean, they've been slaughtering humans left and right. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, that's 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 just what they've had to do in order to survive. Uh, and and sometimes in order to get other stuff done. Uh, but they, yeah, this is the first time where one of them just came out and said, yeah, this is war. So the enemy isn't human, even if they look and are
0: human. Well, And that's the thing. He doesn't say this is war. He just says they're controllers. They're no longer human. They're in the inside. They're 100 percent yerk in the mind, which is not true. And Jake should know that better than anybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I say that the enemy isn't human because it's war is because that is such a, a common tactic yeah. in war is that if you dehumanize the enemy, it, it makes the things that you do less fucking horrifying. And it's probably easier for them to do in this case, because they know that these aren't humans, they're, they're people who are controlled. And I mean, I guess part of that might be their experience with people who were controlled and were freed and and how just so very badly emotionally damaged they were but even that i don't think makes you inhuman that just means you need help right
0: well and and so the other thing i think is is even they all assume when david takes off back to his house that he's going that he's turning coat that he's gonna join up with viscer three he says outright of course i'm not joining up with viscer three i'm not stupid but i you know, I could go morph someone else. I can th- have some life that's not this because it's not for me, which, yeah, which is part of, I think, goes back to our, our discussion last episode about whether or not he would have taken it given a choice. Here's the thing, though, like, Jake's all, no, you can't, whatever. They already know, like a human billionaire who they could off with their attitudes without feeling guilty about it at all. <sighs> Shit. Uh, that he could morph and would be in a great spot for them. He'd be set and he'd be in a great spot for them in terms of intelligence and funding. And like, th- they can work this to their advantage. But instead, they're just like, we don't trust this kid. We got to watch him. And he goes off on a, a bit of a, a, it's a real pathetic internet incel rant about all
1: oh, the popular, all the popular kids.
0: kids and whatever. But his frame of reference is limited, but he's not 100% wrong. They haven't been treating him like a member of the team well i guess that's the problem is they have been treating him like a member of the team they haven't been treating him like the new member of the team they've just been assuming that he's going to have the same sort of implicit following jake's orders and like going along with everything that the rest of them do they're forgetting that he they've had 19 books and two megamorphs uh <laughs> worth of shared experiences where they've like gotten this bond and they all sort of knew each other beforehand, except Tobias, maybe.
1: I mean, they, they go through, there's, I think, a portion in this book where they, they, they literally, maybe it was the last book, they literally talk through all of their connections and how they know each other.
0: They were talking about it, I think, when they were trying to decide whether to give them morphine or not.
1: Yeah. I, I feel like it, this would have been a lot different if there weren't such a very important high-stakes mission. Like, they don't, they don't have the time I think that they might have otherwise like they need him to be on the team and part of the team and ready to go as soon as possible. Although I don't, I feel like they would have been just as good not incorporating him into this mission. Just give him time to adjust a little.
0: Yeah, they don't need him to be part of the team as soon as possible. They can give him a little bit.
1: I think from their perspective, and I I think it's a a sound perspective is they end up fighting a lot and they've had a lot of close calls. They've had a lot of if we had had one more person or one fewer person we'd be dead. Yeah. So I I can appreciate from from a strategy angle if you have another member, especially when you move from 6 to 7, that's a pretty pretty decent percentage increase. Yeah. But it does seem to go pretty much as badly as it could. I mean,
0: they've had multiple instances now i think before the last sort of big attempt that they do uh where basically axe is sort of proven right when they were talking about whether or not to incorporate him axe said you know we're a small guerrilla force so it's not necessarily a numbers game uh and if he if he is not reliable then it it can hurt us more than anything and they have multiple instances where he sort of proves like he's too green to be included on this you know he panicked he starts panic morphing back to a person from a flea before anybody else because he he doesn't want to get stuck as a flea. E- everybody else manages to make it out. Marco almost doesn't.
1: Almost, he becomes a giant flea before
0: he Whew. starts ex- exhibiting human qualities, which is pretty fucked. I mean, we we can have another sidebar on that real quick because it's real interesting that Cassie talks him down and even acts as impressed yeah. because it's not supposed to be able to happen. Yeah,
1: no, I really liked that, and part of me was wondering if that's because Cassie is really good at morphing and so she sort of understands the mental process that you need to go through to do it or if it's just because cassie and marco are actually like good friends even though we don't get to see that very often
0: I mean, there's no reason it can't be both like cassie's yeah one of the more empathetic of them she uh has that that astrine expertise in morphing so she can explain it and yeah it's canonical not even our canon it's ka applegate's canon. that that marco and cassie got up to hijinks before the animorphs
1: yeah they were it it is established that they were friends so yeah i liked that that cassie was the one to talk talk marco sort of back into humanity i
0: I appreciate that axe is like that's not supposed to be possible but it's amazing
1: yeah
0: Yeah. because he can barely even admit that the chi have a leg up on (laughs) on andalite holography technology
1: even though we get a hologram and a hologram and a hologram in this one, and that's pretty fucking impressive. Like,
0: is there a reason why the Yorks have not been busting out the hologram tech earlier? We've seen them use a force field before. I don't think we've seen them do holograms, right? Or at least not at scale.
1: No, I mean, maybe they're so good at holograms that the Animorphs have been passing by all of their holograms. That
0: eh, seems unlikely.
1: I agree, but it does seem like a plot hole that they're not using it more often.
0: I mean, maybe they're newly acquired. Maybe they take like a lot of energy to maintain.
1: I mean, Axe does say that like if the superior Andalite model of this hologram would be uh, fortified all the way to the top, whereas their version is just strong enough to resist contact at the bottom and at the top you can get in and out.
0: I mean, I guess that makes sense. We learned uh, during the hork Chronicles that Yerkes, uh Sort of have a scavenged technology selection.
1: Yeah. So it might be that they're still working on getting their hologram game on point. Uh, What were we talking about before Giant Flea Marco?
0: Oh, what have we been talking about the last episode and we'll be talking about the next episode? David. (laughs) David being green. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think this this book is a little, maybe because it's not from Marco's POV, but this book has a little bit more... There, there are more conversations that happen in this book that I think could go one way or the other there, there's that moment where uh, David is underneath the table he morphs lion and seems like he's going to attack the controllers that are there and just blow their entire cover and I he says afterwards like oh gotcha I was just I was never gonna attack I just just in case um, but it, I think it could be easily read one way or the other. Well,
0: I, I read it as him intending to attack and making a, a real obviously lame excuse afterwards, which I think is how you're intended to take it. And I agree, it could be go one way or the other. I think even the uncharitable reading is not like terrible because as it turns out, blowing their cover would not necessarily have like been a bad thing.
1: You also have that moment later on where Visor Three is like, "Join me, yeah, and I'll I'll spare you." And it it's written in such a way that it really seems like David is considering it. It does. And and I if you're sympathetic to David, and by by which I mean you as being sympathetic right. for David, <laughs> specifically you, Brent. Um, I think you could say maybe he was just trying to get close to attack Vizor 3, even though I do think we're supposed to take it as he's, he's wavering.
0: When I read this, I kind of had this thought that like, this is Jake's point of view and this is after the fact. So, and I sort of am poisoned by a little knowledge that they do something to deal with him in the next book. I feel like that knowing that they did something to him that they can't take back may influence how jake writes about and feels about retroactively this scene if that makes sense Hmm. i don't i'm not saying that's necessarily the case because even if he was wavering this is like his second mission yeah and it's like a bad call it is a bad call but he pulls it out at the end and name one of the other animorphs perhaps with the exception of axe that has not made just a terrible decision and then managed to come back like pull it out at the end
1: yeah, I mean, the first 10 books was them lying about one thing or another to each other.
0: Yeah. And I mean, he, he brags afterwards to just an irritating degree, which I mean, we all knew somebody like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we get this weird, this so it was oh, so annoying to read just because I again, I've experienced this person who's like, Oh, hey, Jay, who do you think would win a lion or a tiger? Because I think a lion would win because I'm a lion. And it's like, oh oh. Again, he's a 13-year-old boy. Okay. But what a fucking little asshole. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that's a dickling sort of thing. And I think that's one once more supposed to code him as like a budding little sociopath.
1: Who I think fully buds by the end of this book. I mean, just to circle back around to him killing or, or, again...
0: Gravely injuring. Seemingly
1: killing Tobias. Yeah, gravely, life-threateningly injured Tobias. Because um, he's just a bird. I... It's not okay. It's not just that he kills Tobias as he's just a bird. He says, it's just a bird. So it's not murder. Mm -hmm. And I also want to object to that. Because if Brent, if you came to me, and well, okay, let's let's reverse let's think about as 13 year olds. Mm -hmm. If somebody as a 13-year-old came to me and said, hey, I killed this bird, but it's cool because it's just a bird. I would say, okay, maybe that's not murder, but that's pretty fucked up. Oh,
0: no argument. Here's the thing. He's wrong about it being okay to kill Tobias. But he's the, the way that he is framing his decision to kill Tobias is literally using the same justification that the Animorphs use to kill a bunch of people. The serial murder of human controllers that they do they justify by saying it's not murder, they're not people. Which is just as fucked up.
1: And I I, I agree, I agree. But I think that I, if the last book hadn't pretty much ended with David killing a crow, I would say that that holds more water. But it's already established that David is just like chill with killing small animals.
0: Uh...
1: And he he uses that language to justify it in this book which is also fucked up, but it is established that he's just kind of cool with killing
0: birds. I, I mean, I think that's definitely one valid way to read it. I think that is definitely one valid way to read it. And I think probably the way that you're supposed to read it. I mean, the, the presumption that Tobias is dead, I assume is meant to horrify the reader. I just, I yeah. don't think, and this this might even be on purpose. I don't think Kay Applegate has done a very good job like basically establishing that this person is so bad that that there's no coming back from it i agree it, it might be on purpose we might be intended to be reading this as gray it doesn't seem like it from the way that he keeps getting coded in the books and yeah it's very fucked up for him to attack tobias but at the end there he basically was saying i'm i just want to go live my life this isn't for me i can't do this I want to go I'm gonna morph somebody else, I'm gonna you know get by in the margins, and the rest of them are like, Well, you can't do that because you know too much, which once again they they kidnapped him,
1: yeah, and that this i I don't disagree with what you're saying, but the problem is they're in the middle of a war, so it's like i i I agree that I don't think David is justifiably villainous again, assuming Tobias is not actually dead yeah. i don't I don't think it, up until that point, maybe he's not so far gone that they can't pull him back but it's the the thing is the stakes are so high they can't afford to take any more chances they didn't even really couldn't really afford to take this chance
0: and they did yeah that's the thing they they decided they could afford to take this chance and that was as it's turning out increasingly the wrong call i still think if they handled it in a different way which once again they're all teenagers so i can't blame them if they handled it in a different way it could have worked out i think but obviously it didn't yeah
1: maybe the solution in the next book is that they all chill and talk it through and he's just integrated as part of the animal
0: i think it's past that point now he
1: (sighs) yeah i like it this at this book when they they're they're tailing him to his old house which is still in ruins uh Jake says something to Axe they're talking about how things are going to get bad and Jake tells Axe if David's killed Tobias we might have to do a terrible thing to get Rachel (sighs) (laughs) and that whole segment and it's partially because Rachel lives nearby but it's also partially because Jake knows they're gonna have to do something they're gonna have to do some sort of solution against David and Rachel's and then the next book is a Rachel POV, so I think it's safe to assume that Rachel's going to be the one that has to do something terrible.
0: Well, and this, this once again gets back to how a lot of them have their defined roles in the groups, and Rachel is the, the hard case. Yeah. She's the one who will always solve it with violence. She'll be as ruthless as she has to be. Her plans are loud. Go loud. Go loud often.
1: Yeah, do you think if Rachel weren't a part of this group, David would have been able to integrate
0: better? No. No, no, I don't think so. No? Uh, I I don't think that it's anything, it's anything specifically about the group dynamic, as much as they have one that's established, and because the stakes are so high, because they're going on these life or death missions, they don't take the time, none of them, Mm -hmm. to integrate, to figure out what role, and, and bring him in and build that trust. And David doesn't really put a lot of effort into it either. I mean, let's, fair's fair. None of them probably would have chosen each other as friends if they had the choice, but Marco and Rachel would probably not have chosen each other as friends if they had the choice. At least Rachel wouldn't have chosen Marco.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's some really good non-David related stuff in this book as well. Like there's at one point where I think it's Cassie calls Jake when David goes missing and she's trying to use code because she knows Tom, it, Tom is around and could potentially overhear. So she says something about like, oh, Letterman's not on the air, not, not where he's supposed to be. And Jake's like clued in immediately that she means David.
0: It's yeah, it's it's a very it's a very amusing code.
1: Yeah, I like that they used it. I lo- I I'm curious if that's something they came up with ahead of time or if they just are fucking in sync.
0: <laughs> I think I think they're just that in sync cuz I oh, mean, man. I picked up on the code immediately reading it. <laughs> She's like, "Did I hear right that Letterman's not on, Dave isn't where he's supposed to be, and Jake's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Uh uh-huh. <laughs> And I was like, oh, obviously I know what this is. They're used to these cloak and dagger things when they're on the phone. They know Tom could be listening in. Yeah, I love
1: it a lot. Uh, also, Marco's dad is dating again.
0: That's got to be awkward for Marco.
1: I assume so, since he knows his mom's actually alive, kind of.
0: Although not a person anymore, except I guess, you know. But this is, it's, I think we're, we're starting to run into a problem here that I have with a lot of media that's gone on for a while, specifically part of the reason I stopped watching Supernatural, like way more seasons than I should have given it, uh, where the, the main characters are held to different standards hmm. by the author than everyone else. They're held to different standards by each other than they hold everyone else to.
1: I think that's fair. So Marco's mom is still human because she's like a character.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, because she, she's Marco's mom someday they're gonna free her
1: and give her a name <laughs>
0: right <laughs> jesus get name her country of origin
1: yeah i think that's yeah that's a big problem in a lot of action flicks where it's like yeah where he, where, where they the heroes slaughter people en masse but the villains can't do that because that's wrong It's like okay well
0: like season two of daredevil where netflix marvel's daredevil where he He's just really like constantly reiterating to the Punisher. We don't get to choose who lives and who dies, Frank. And then he spends the next three minutes beating people over the head with metal pipes and throwing them down three flights of stairs, which like, <laughs> even if you didn't kill them, that's like, that's very difficult to come back from. That's yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah, it's it's something that I, I see. I've just been seeing increasingly for a long time. And I think that's just me becoming more aware of the trope.
1: Yeah, this weird moralistic tendency that ignores they—they want to have their their moral cake, but also beat the shit out of a bunch of guys too.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think maybe that has to do with why I'm giving David giving David such a charitable reading here because he is doing some terrible things. He injures Tobias very gravely. He gets in a fight with Jake on top of the of the mall at the end. Which, if there's any evidence that our eventual Animorphs RPG has to be something like way more story based than. Um, than simulation based, it's that Jake, who has had multiple bajir battles in his tiger morph here, hmm. pretty much loses to David the second or third time he's ever been in a lion.
1: Yeah, no kidding. This is very uh, a little frustrating that, ti- yeah. that Jake Tiger isn't more battle hardened
0: from his literal battles. Right. Like, I mean, the Jake should. Yeah, it's he should win in any situation where you actually have like skill ranks or whatever. So obviously, it's got to be a system that's much more based on plot necessities.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense.
0: We do get uh, another, just to to continue with our non-David related train, now that we took a sidebar. We have a real beautiful moment where Rachel's the only one who knows how to tie a tie. (laughs) And of course, of course she is. Rachel knows how to tie a tie. Yeah,
1: of course she does.
0: There's no universe in which she doesn't know how to tie a tie.
1: I really liked that. I liked that that was a clutch moment where Marco and Jake and David and Tobias, I guess, also were like, oh. And Rachel's like, okay, God, come on. I assume she did that because, like, this is around the time period where Avril Lavigne was popular. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Famous for wearing ties, even though she's a girl. So...
0: Plus, I mean, you know Rachel wants to be her best dressed whenever she goes somewhere. That's established. And there's plenty of women's dress outfits that involve a tie.
1: Yeah. Not that many that involve tie like that. But I think that was a style in the 90s, so...
0: Yeah, it's yeah. I think definitely she's she's picking up on the early Avril Lavigne, uh, pop punk current.
1: I also I also like the idea that maybe she just knows she knows fashion not just for her but just across the board. So she can fold a handkerchief and like she knows mm. how to how to pick a cummerbund. I don't know a lot about men's yeah. fashion.
0: She she can she knows multiple ways to fold a pocket square. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, she she like fixes the buttons they missed and everything. It's <laughs> explicit. Jake says she does it in less time than they. took staring at each other trying to figure out who knew how to tie a tie so yeah i think you're right rachel just she has such a passion for fashion that she just knows this shit even though she's not going to use it necessarily yeah she just knows
1: i like that a lot she's she's thorough she has a vision board for for Mm -hmm. men's fashion as well
0: she is fucking competent (laughs) when when she puts her mind to something she becomes fucking competent and what she has become competent at are fashion and bear murder like murder as a bear not murder
1: yeah murder as a bear
0: yeah so there's another quote where Jake says you don't get to be a viscer in the Yurk Empire without being determined (laughs) talking about viscer 3 which like it's a fair cop he doesn't know this but we just read Hork-Bajir Chronicles so we're aware that you get to be a viscer in the Yurk Empire by just saying yo I'm a viscer now
1: (laughs) by calling dibs yeah
0: yeah you're like uh I'm a viscer yeah I think I think I'm a viscer now (laughs) What's a viscer? I I made it up. It's a rank. It's higher than yours.
1: Oh, you're only a sub-viscer? Well, I'm a viscer. Which, what's your number? One? There's already one. (laughs) There's already one. Well, has anybody called three yet?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you just do it sometime in the 60s, and then you're a viscer. Fucking fantastic. There's another sort of bit of slapstick where uh, Axe leaps over a fence... (laughs) And then leaps backwards over the fence. And Jake's like, I didn't know you could do that. And Ax was like, either did I. And now I just really want a, a looping gif of an Andalite jumping Boing. forwards and then Boing. backwards and Boing. then forwards and then <laughs> backwards. <laughs>
1: this is a very good image. I just picture all the like, all of the videos online of people startling cats and they just do like a perfect arcing jump backwards. That's what I'm picturing. Mm. It's very good.
0: Yes, except like a deer, a deer doing that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you think we could find a gif of a deer jumping backwards?
0: I'm going to Google that after this. Yeah, definitely try. Okay. We should definitely try. <laughs> uh, was Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about in this book, David related or otherwise? I
1: did want to point out that they have an opportunity in this book. I don't think we've talked about this yet, where they come upon a yerk pool. And unlike in the hospital, they don't boil those yurks alive they don't actually disrupt the yerk pool at all. And that ends up helping them because the yerks come in and see that it's been left alone and assume there's nobody there. But I thought that was actually k- kind of good moral progress, despite the fact that we had a lot of
0: a lot of moral regression in this book. I mean, it's arguably a good thing, because as it turns out, the entire situation was a trap. So mm. like setting it off early may have been beneficial to them in the long run
1: i mean hypothetically destroying all of those yurks would be beneficial there it's a guerrilla war that they're waging yeah. so ki- killing them would have been beneficial to them in one way or the other but they don't and that i thought was i thought that was good
0: yeah it's interesting that that jake's perspective has changed so much since the hospital where he did like boil a bunch of yurks alive yeah and even and this is weird Because it wasn't that many books ago where they spent multiple days dedicated to a plan where they were going to poison an entire Yerk pool. Yeah. Like, with with the maple ginger instant oatmeal. Get them hooked. Like, drive them all crazy, poison them with crazy drugs. And that was fine by him. But just, like, outright stomping them is not... Um, it's just interesting to see that, like, he's now drawing the line at killing them outright.
1: Yeah, and we don't get a real clear explanation for why,
0: like why he's had a change of heart. I think it, it might have to do with book 19.
1: Yeah, Cassie?
0: Yeah, Cassie has the heart to heart with uh, a yurk and has been just very conflicted about this. I think she's she's rubbed off on Jake a little because he says, no, they're helpless. We We shouldn't kill them. They're helpless.
1: Good, good, good for Cassie. Good for Jake.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess morally, yes, good for them. Tactically, probably probably not the greatest.
1: No, no, it's a bad choice.
0: I just, man, I just keep thinking that Hecate could have prevented this somehow.
1: Oh my god, right? If she had just taken David off their hands?
0: If if only our headcanon OC, Do Not Steal, had <laughs> been in contact with the Animorphs early enough, she could have gotten David a new identity. They wouldn't have had to give him morphing powers. They could have just nipped this whole thing in the bud.
1: Yeah, I mean, she's been doing it to so many other victims of this war mm-hmm. that she probably, I mean, she has all those lines in place. She knows how to get the the passport taken care of. Uh, and with the morphing ability, like you said, like they could have just given David a new a literal new face and gone about his way. And I, I don't know if he'd be super into that, but it, it's an option.
0: I mean, he talks about towards the end about just finding someone else to morph and being someone else for a couple hours so he can, you know, live a normal life. I don't think he would have been disappointed by being Joe Bob Finistra.
1: damn! You don't, you think he'd want to be like kind of an old tech nerd?
0: I mean, if they're like, hey, we know this literal billionaire who we don't feel bad in the least about killing. <laughs> Uh, because he's a monster and a serial killer and how would you like to just take over his fortune and power i i i don't think david would have been like no he's a little old
1: that's fair yeah i guess if he wasn't committed to see i feel like they i don't think the animorphs would have let that happen unless he committed to being that
0: human nothlet i think he might have i mean by the end of this he's not he doesn't It doesn't take him very many missions. I mean, I'm 32 years old. This 13-year-old has risked death more times in two books than I have in my entire life. Yes. It does not take him very many missions to decide that this is not for him. He can't do it. And they were willing to let Cassie go. They were willing to let Cassie say, I can't do this anymore. Arguably, Cassie earned it. And Cassie, once again, we come back to the fact that Cassie had a normal life that she could retreat into. Right. The only reason that they're so focused on David not figuring out a way to do this or not helping him figure out a way to not fight with them is because he knows too much. They're worried he'll get caught. And once again, they, they don't trust him. Yeah. None of them have put in the time to trust each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it
0: just, yeah, Hecate could have solved all of this. She really could have, man. Hecate is the best. <laughs> yeah, she's the best character in these books, for sure. So I'd like to do uh, the first in what I hope is an ongoing little segment of Phandalites that I'm calling Z-Space Transmissions, where uh, <laughs> <laughs> where uh, we, we answer the, the questions that you, the listeners, have posed to us. The ones on Twitter we usually just reply to on Twitter. We got our first email question this week.
1: Yeah, that makes it much more official feels.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, this one's for you, actually, Jenna. This is from Booker. They say, Hey, Jenna and Brent, I'm a new listener and I just caught up. If you take listener questions, I've got one for Jenna. In episode four, we learned that young Jenna's favorite books were number four and number 19. Having just covered book 19, what about it do you think appealed to your younger self? Keep fighting the good fight for Andalite truth, Booker.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag Andalite truth.
0: Hashtag Andalite truth.
1: Uh, I think probably probably the main thing is I, I remember as a kid being really jealous of... Maybe not jealous. I was really into the fact that Cassie was good at morphing and could make it look beautiful. So I think seeing a cover that reflected that by having her morph so perfectly into that butterfly... I think that's a big part of it. I I remember thinking that that was just like being able to morph is already a cool power, but being able to morph in such a way that's not abjectly horrifying like it is every other time they morph. Uh, I think that was something really special. I, I think I was also, I really liked as a kid, the kind of twist ending and the fact that Cassie was willing to make that sacrifice. I think that really touched me. Uh, while also making me happy that she was not stuck as a caterpillar <laughs> her whole life, uh, I think as an adult maybe I I felt that was a little bit a little bit more iffy, maybe. But as a kid, I just thought that was a, a just some fucking good plot.
0: <laughs> it was a very beautiful cover, and it would have been an extremely grim book if Cassie uh, was stuck as a caterpillar.
1: I, yeah, really, would have uh, painted the rest of the series in a different light.
0: All right, well, that'll do it for this week. <laughs> uh, uh, join us next week when we discuss Book 22, The Solution. The
1: Solution. This is so fucking
0: ominous. I know. The we'll solution. recover from this cliffhanger where Jake's blacking out, and presumably we'll find out how they deal with David. In the meantime, hit us up on the internet. We're at Fandalites on Twitter, Vandalites at gmail.com. Fandalites.com is our website. We're Com on Tumblr. Just any of those good, good social media channels. Hit us up.
1: Yeah. Like and subscribe if you haven't already.
0: Right. I hear it really helps. I don't know how exactly, but all the podcasts I listen to say that it really helps.
1: Yeah. And I believe them. So you should believe us.
0: Yeah. I I don't think that the McElroy brothers can be wrong about this. They seem professional. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. You can find his stuff at DustinO'Dell.Bandcamp.com. He's on Twitter as well. Uh, Give him a follow. And uh, so we'll see you next week. And until then, to be continued.